are joining with audiences from across the globe to enjoy HIFWAR, bringing Harrogate International Festivals into your home. Sit back, relax, and join Stella Duffy in conversation with Jenny Harris. Enjoy. Welcome, Stella. Hello. It's, uh, I'm really pleased to be interviewing you today. Um, I think um, regular Harrogate Festival goers will know you as a writer and specifically a crime writer because you've appeared many times at the Crime Writing Festival. Absolutely. Since right since the very beginning and um, with deep love for the festival uh, for Harrogate. Yes, Betty's, obviously, but there are other shops available and other other buns. Um, all great. And uh, some of my, you know, one of the things, I write literary fiction and historical fiction as well, but I think all the crime writers will tell you that, A, crime writers are just phenomenal, and B, Harrogate is a particular love of all of ours as a crime festival. Um, partly because when it started, it was one of the very few, and it was such a big deal to do it. And um, partly because of the, the fun, uh, singing till three o'clock in the morning with Val McDermott and Jenny Murray and others and getting told to shut up because our sound of music was too loud. <laughs> so rude. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, last year, dancing to, to fun, love and crime writers. I mean, just, just wonderful gigs that are, yes, they're about the books, but as much as anything, they're about enjoying being with writers and readers. Yeah, so it's not just the writers sticking together or just the readers seeing us as different. It's a real crossover, which is yeah. I think that mix of um, audience and writers and um, the fact that there's a real community in yeah, there. Totally, the festival is brilliant. And people who come back year after year as well, you know, which is just. I mean, I remember meeting Mary Hannah before she was, you know, the very successful Mary Hannah. She was there as a reader and passionate about being a reader. You know, so I think there's some, all all, all writers love all the festivals because we need them. You know, we need the festivals to, to meet people, to sell our books, to make contact. But it is a particularly special festival. Mm -hmm. It really is. So um, you have many strings to your bow because, as you said, you're not just a crime writer. You write lots of contemporary fiction and historical fiction. You're a theatre maker, a theatre director. But actually, over the last few years, um, Fun Palaces has really taken up a lot of your time. And I wonder if you could just talk a bit about Fun Palaces for those people who sure. perhaps don't know what it is. And in fact, last year, um, the Library Festival was part of the festival. So, and we were talking about Fun Palaces then too. So, um, so eight years ago in 2013 well, seven years ago certainly 2020 um, very beginning of, of 2013 um, I founded uh, Fun Palaces with my co-director and co-founder Sarah Jane Rawlings and I'm 57 I got my equity card at 18 I've worked in the arts freelance this whole time I've never had a proper job um, you know the holiday pay sick pay ones um, and I love the arts but I have also come to an understanding that the arts has for a very long time paid lip service to genuine inclusion and equality. Um, there's a great book coming out in September by Dave O'Brien, Orion Brooke and Mark Taylor called Culture is Bad for You. And if you happen to be a person of colour in Britain, a woman in British arts, a disabled person, a queer person, you will know from your own life experience that it has been harder. 
And what this book does is it gives us the steps that prove it. it I mean, it, sadly, it also proves there was no golden age of arts funding, that actually that great arts funding that we might talk about that, that got, you know, the working class kids on the stage, it mostly benefited um, white working class men. Now, that's not a bad thing because, of course, white working class men need support too. But what about the, the women? What about people of colour? What about disabled people? And and this is the arts with the best will in the world trying to make change, right? These are good people. These are genuinely my best friends trying to make change, but we've just not opened things up enough. We simply haven't. And so um, based on an idea from Joan Littlewood, the theatre director, and Cedric Price, the architect, who wanted to create a fun palace in the 1960s, a genuine building in the East End that would house all the arts, all the science, be available for everyone to access and free, and not just to come along as, as audiences, but as participants. Right? And that's, again, one of the lovely things about, about Thinkston's and, and Harrogate's Crime Festival. People can come and take part in workshops. People can, can co-create together. That's not the standard across the arts, even now. Um, and so the idea was from us that, well, it didn't happen in the 60s. No one would support it. No one would let it happen. And also, they were trying to build a new building. And frankly, we don't need more buildings. We need to share the buildings we've got better. You know, I mean... At the moment, all of the hotels that have been opened up for homeless people, what on earth are we going to do when we kick the homeless people back onto the streets? It's just abysmal. All those office blocks that are empty at night time, why are they not homeless hostels overnight? I mean, we have these spaces that are not well used. Anyway, uh, seven years ago, we went... Why don't we just, to celebrate Joe Littlewood's centenary on the 6th of October 2014, so everyone could make a fun palace, just to bring along whatever arts or craft or science or tech or digital or, or heritage thing you're passionate about, share it with your neighbour. And we thought, Sarah Jane and I, she had two small kids, her partner was away touring, she was producing for a theatre company. That year I was writing, had a novel to finish and two plays to direct. We thought maybe 10, 20 people would join in places around, dotted around the country. 138 places joined in our first year. Wow. Uh, so far, there have been 1,758. I think I've got that number right. Fun palaces across the UK, all four nations, in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, France, Spain, Portugal, Greece, uh, Ireland, as well as Northern Ireland, um, Sweden, Iceland, um, just amazing communities co-creating for themselves. So that's the idea. The community, and we've seen it all the way through COVID. You know, we've seen these mutual aid groups set up. We've seen communities and streets go, let's set up a WhatsApp group so we can look after each other. And with fun palaces, we're not saying this doesn't happen all the time. What we are saying is that mainstream arts and mainstream arts funding has not supported very well and very equitably the communities that are doing fantastic things around creativity and everyday culture and are helping people who might not get into arts get involved in a way that so far mainstream arts has not been very good at. Um, and there's always been this division between those who, who are, got, the, got the spotlight shone on them and everyone else. And actually what Fun Palaces is doing is trying to shine the light on these people, on the great community work that's happening all the time, day in, day out, across Britain. And one of the things that we're, we really love is that community groups who wouldn't normally get a national profile get a bit of a light shone on them and other people hear about what they're doing. 
And the other thing that we're really passionate about is that anyone can lead. And I think we only really change who the arts are accessible for when we change who leads it. So we support by printing posters, by running workshops, by doing national and local press for, for organisations so that a tiny community organisation who maybe, I don't know, work out of uh, this, this hut, you know, scout hut down the road two nights a week, can actually, they don't have to worry about all of that stuff. We will help put them on the map. So it's a it's a campaign, but it's also a weekend. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So could you um, could you just give us a sense of what happens maybe over a sort sure. of a weekend? Sure. So people tend to sign up for about springtime um, to run a fun palace in October. It's always the first weekend in October. Um, that was just an accident. We, we picked it because it was Joan Littlewood's centenary in 2014, and then it turns out it's not half term. It's not the first of January. She could have been born on the 1st of January. It's just a really great day. And it's also, in the Northern Hemisphere at least, sort of harvest festival time, sort of gathering together time. And in the Southern Hemisphere, it's opening up, coming back to spring. So it works really well. Um, The way that we've pushed it, and this is different to Joan Littlewood's original idea, is to say to people, share something you're passionate about. So quite early on, artists, friends of mine said, oh, I, I want to run a fun palace, but, but I don't want to do another thing for free. You know, I don't want to bring my artwork again for free. And I was like, well, don't do your artwork. Do something else that you're not normally paid for, but you really care about instead. So we say it's a skills sharing event. And maybe you are the world's best pole dancer, and that's what you have to share. Or maybe... In lockdown, you're one of the lucky people who got some time off and paid time off because lots of us you know, freelancers are still really struggling. Um, and you learned a new skill. Well, maybe share that. And so a fun palace can be, I mean, sometimes very large venues take part and they've got 3,000 people come along and there's 30 different activities during the day. And sometimes it's 10 people leading 10, 20-minute workshops. And the key is that people share what they're passionate about. So, Jenny, just so people understand, if I were to say to you, what's your secret skill? So it's the thing that other people, people who know you well, will go, oh, Jenny will be great at that. You know, we need to make some birthday cards. Jenny will be great at that. Um, I, I need a birthday cake. Jenny knows how to ice it beautifully, whatever. Jenny knows the names of all the constellations, right? What would they say about you? Well, it would either be accompanying um, to drop of a hat really? on the piano. Really? I can do that. Also, um, it's, well, it's a bit clunky, but you know. And then um, uh, also, I suppose, propagating, because I do have an allotment, so I am a propagating person. Both of those things are fantastic fun palaces um, examples. So you might get, you might say, okay, I'm going to take half an hour, uh, three times in the day. Here's my piano, assuming it's a piano that you accompany on, and um, come along, uh, tell me what you want to sing, bring your sheet music, and and you sing, Right. But it might also be, and here's, because of course that time of year, October is a great time of year to say what you want to turn to seed, what we're going to start planting, and to talk people through who've never planted anything before, what they might do. So it's sharing something that isn't your job, but it's something you care about. What we've discovered is that when people do this, so you show me how to graft a tomato plant. I'm just thinking my tomatoes because I was looking at um, And we're doing this. We're using our hands. I am not being asked to talk to a complete stranger, looking them in the eye when I've never met them before. 
Now, everyone always says, oh, just, just go and have a drink with people. Well, I don't drink. Some people don't like pubs. They haven't been open anyway. Um, and when they are opening, lots of us are scared of it. Um, having a cup of tea with a stranger is a nice idea, but it can be really scary. A stranger who is your neighbor teaching you how to do something they care about gives us a chance to have a different conversation. It's a different way in. So it's using the arts. It's using culture. It's using culture in its widest sense as a way to connect people. So you talk about tiny revolutions. Yes. Yeah. What do you mean? That is, yeah. And they're tiny revolutions of connection. And, and each little connection. So we've seen year after year, people have said, I got talking to someone down the road because we decided to make a fun palace together because we went to one the year before. We're now friends. I see people all the time say, I don't have a skill. You know, we live in a culture that tells people no all the time. You know, we, we say no to people all the time. What we do in Funpulse is so much of my work is literally on the phone because my own phone number, as all of my colleagues, is on our website because we're not big enough to have, you know, work phones. On my own phone saying, sounds like a great idea. That sounds like a great idea. Do it. That sounds like a great idea. We'll send you the posters. All we do is we tell people their ideas are great and then help them do it. And this year, because we don't know what October's going to be like, we're going to do... A thousand tiny fun palaces. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't care if we don't get that many signing up. You know, interestingly, because people sign up on our website and they get a little pin on the map and they get their own website page doing it. It's all very simple. We've made it as simple as possible to sign up. And it's free, of course. Um, and so are all the resources. Um, interestingly, this time last year, I think we had about 75 on the map. We've got 52. It kind of stuns me that people are already, and, and one of them's in Portugal, you know, already deciding it's going to be okay in October. But just in case it's not, and also because we want to take care of the people who are still shielding and may well still be shielding and need to, um, we're calling it a thousand tiny fun palaces. So it could be, say you were shielding Jenny and you've got a piano in your front room. It could be that you open your windows and you say, what do you want to sing? I'll play from here. Um, it could be that you turn your, your windows on your belt. So the, the estate that I was born in in Woolwich was one of those ones that have got like four floors and then a long balcony. You've got your own little balcony out the back and you've got a long balcony. Well, that balcony could become a, like a promenade fun palace, of ga- a gallery with people sharing their things in their windows. Um, all, so- all sorts of ideas. And we've been doing this with Tiny Revolutions, just little ideas that people can do. And at least half of them are offline ideas. Because one of the other things that I found very quite upsetting actually is the art sector's decision to just put a lot of material online which for me it's great I've got a laptop I've got a desktop I've got wi-fi in my house I've got a really good deal of course it's great for me but there are five million people in Britain according to the Office of National Statistics in 2018 who have never used the internet not don't have great access have never used it and then there's the families where there's three kids at home and they're sharing one phone and they're trying to do homeschooling. Mm-hmm. And then there's the people that pay as you go phone with only 90 minutes of data a day. You know, putting everything online does not help those people and it makes them feel more left out. So with Tiny Revolutions, we've worked very hard to... People, people have been sending us brilliant ideas, but we've got as many of them as we can. into like a one-page PDF with a couple of photos of how to do it. And we've been posting them out. I mean, now we have ambassadors around the country. And they too, like me, work two days a week. Um, our ambassador in, in 
north of Scotland in the Highlands um, has is connected with a large um, NHS mental health um, and occupational health um, charity. And uh, they, they printed thousands of these um, for people to, to go to vulnerable people, to go to people who are, um, you know, in a psychiatric unit who need, who need a bit more to do. In North Wales, our ambassador has printed them up with a little creativity pack because it's all very well saying to, to people, here, here's what your children can do. If your house doesn't have glue and paints and scissors, and many houses don't, then those kids can't create. It, it, it's so simple, but we have to think broader when we're trying to include people. Absolutely. I, I, I did have a little scoot on the website at um, quite a few of the tiny revolutions because they're so... I know. And I know. And, you know, there's people yodeling and <laughs> people decorating um, iron railings. And, you know, actually they're all really small, but very individually beautiful things. They are. They're, they're small, they're individually beautiful, and they've been done by people. So we know they work. And that's what I really like about them. Because a lot of the things, and I, you know, I've done it too. As an artist working with a community group, we try stuff out and we don't know if it works. What we know is people have tried this in their own community and then they sent us it to us. And in fact, the iron railings one is one of my favorites. It's because um, it's, it's all part of the little story that's on the website. And Claire Slade, who was an artist, she had an idea. It was her father's funeral and she couldn't go. This was very early and very full on lockdown. And so she did made a rainbow on the railings opposite her home. And what she says in the piece is she thought it would just be a nice thing to do. And it took her ages. And she said, but instead she was chatting to people as they went by. And this is, this is the tiny revolution, right? It's the little conversations. So um, I think for a lot of us during lockdown, we've um, discovered creativity and, and actually that importance of having very small but um, significant creative moments in our lives from we rainbows in windows to all sorts of things just in my local street. Yes. Um, it seems interesting that um, you're reacting to that yeah. in this moment. We were about, so we have ambassadors in the Highlands, in Central West Scotland, in Northern Ireland, in North Wales, in Cornwall, in Sheffield, and we're about to have next year in Rotherham, Gateshead, and Devon. Um, did I say Wales? There too. Um, and they're funded by the lottery, and it only started last year. And we had this great good fortune of, unlike lots of other organisations, not having to worry about our funding at the moment because this programme only started last year. And because our ambassador's role is not to make fun policies, it's to support the communities to do whatever the communities want around participation. They've been able to keep doing their work on the phone, at a distance, brilliantly. And, and what we've seen from all of those communities is phenomenal work happening, you know, up and down the spine of Cornwall with artists, really, you know, quite small groups doing quite small things that are enormously important for their own communities. And that's always been the core of what Fun Palaces is. We have, you know, the RSC's made a Fun Palace. Lots of great, big, amazing, big, shiny buildings. Of, of, you know, Eden Court in, in, the, in the Highlands, at the highest, um, the largest art centre in Scotland have made a Fun Palace. And they're all brilliant, and I absolutely welcome them. 
However, the real change, I think, comes from the tiny groups who have never done anything before, maybe. You know, this group of teenagers who are doing it as part of their arts award, who want to lead something, who are getting a chance to step up and lead. This, these older people in a care home who are normally being done too, getting a chance to lead. Because just because you're 85 doesn't mean you forgot how, what a brilliant geography teacher you were and you don't have something still to share, right? And we've seen it happen across the board with, with the, the virus crisis and people trying to make little links with each other. And we've always said this about fun palaces. We're not saying we've got something new. What we're saying is we have a real intention to shine a light on the brilliant stuff that is already always happening. And when we do it all together on one weekend, we get to make a big shout. And it's the big shout and the connection. So putting the people in... I don't know, the Campbelltown Museum in Scotland in touch with one of the tiny museums in Cornwall and then co-supporting each other. That's what our work is. It's saying yes and it's helping people network. And because they're often freelancers, they're often volunteers, they're often people who are just doing it for love, they don't necessarily get the kind of support that somebody doing it as a mainstream job would do. And so a lot of what we do is putting people in touch with each other and doing that to show you. And <laughs> I mean, I think the beauty of Fun Palaces is that, uh, in essence, it's really, really simple as a concept. Yeah. Uh, but also, that's interesting polit- from a political point of view, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Why, why, as a sector, do we still struggle to create inclusive um, opportunities for communities? Okay, this is what I think happened. <laughs> now, I say this as the youngest of seven kids from a council estate in South London. We moved to my father's native New Zealand. He came over during the war, was a prisoner of war in Germany for four and a half years, met my mum, had seven kids. We moved back when I was a child and I spent my teens there and went to university there and came back to London. So, I come from that kind of poor, deprived, all of those terms that we have to use in terms of funding. But the people don't go, don't walk around going, I feel deprived. My sister, who you know lives up the road from the estate where, where I was born, doesn't walk around going, I feel deprived. Um, she's still living down the road from there and her life hasn't changed hugely. But the funding terms are you've got the people with and the people who are deprived. Right? So we've got that already going on, which already splits us up. And of course funders need to do that because they need to make sure the money's going where it's most needed. But the language we use is massively problematic. So that's, that's there already. We have a very weird, I think, uncertainty as a white woman. What am I allowed to say? Am I supposed to say B-A-M-E? Well, most people I know in theatre don't like that. They might prefer people of colour, but in sciences they do prefer B-A-M-E as far as I know. And anyway, the the M-E, people I know hate it. My wife is from the um, Iraqi Indian Jewish community. She hates being called minority ethnic. What is that, you know? Why is she not allowed to tick a box of her own? Um, Those sorts of things make well-meaning nice white people like myself scared of doing anything in case we get it wrong. And frankly, at the moment, I think we just have to suck it up. We are going to get it wrong. But if we want to make change, you know, we've got to risk being wrong in order to try and make it more right. 
Um, and of course, everyone does have very different views. You know, my very good Sri Lankan friend who I went to university with, he hates the term people of colour. It doesn't suit him. But I have other friends who absolutely espouse it. I will get it wrong. That's all right. You know, so, so there's a lot of well-meaningness. There's a lot of fear about getting it wrong. And there's another problem, which is... The, so in this Culture is Bad Feet book, we have a belief in the arts in particular that a meritocracy exists. And their studies prove that it doesn't, that you don't just succeed because you're good and you work hard. It doesn't work that way. We are working from a position of already not including, already not having venues that somebody in a wheelchair can get into comfortably, already assuming that theatre involves you talk in the lights and you sit down there and shut up, which means that somebody who is neurodiverse with a problem that requires them to speak out loud or to say in order to process what they're watching isn't welcome. It means that somebody who's never been in a theatre building before and thinks that it's okay to eat your popcorn just like you do in the cinema isn't welcome. We have set up these rules about who the arts are for. And then we go, oh, no, but we do want everyone. We do want everyone. But we're not changing our rules to welcome them in. And those rules were invented, the rules about what is culture. They were invented, I don't know, 150 years ago by a bunch of really posh white men. I mean, and they really were men and they really were posh. So what we consider to be literature was, in, was created by that. What we consider to be fine art as opposed to popular art was created then. And we're still sticking to those ideas. We're not saying, there was a report out only yesterday that a bunch of people I know and care about were complaining about on Twitter um, that says uh, the people in the North aren't as engaged in culture as the people in the South. Well, that's only because they're saying that culture means this, this and this. Yeah. You know, if you if you say that culture means five things and that's not happening in the Northeast, and then you say, therefore, the people in the Northeast aren't involved in culture, you're paying no attention to the culture that the people in the Northeast perceive to be culture. It's so centralised. It's so London-based. And it's not even just London-based because I live in Lambeth and it's one of the poorest boroughs in London. And I can promise you that the kids in the estate five minutes from my house, they don't go to the National they don't get to go to the Royal Academy. That's not for them either. It might want to be for them, but it doesn't yet know how to welcome them in. Mm. So even when we say there's a London and the rest of the country, there's North-South, we have to also pay attention within our cities to the people in our cities who are missing out as well. And I do think that the well-meaningness is part of the problem. And the well-meaningness and our fear of not getting it, of, of getting it wrong... I've never known what we're doing with fun palaces, genuinely. We didn't set out with an action plan. We didn't set out thinking it was going to work. We set out thinking, let's give it a go. And I'm lucky because my background was improvisation and I love saying yes and I trust that when I make mistakes, I will learn from them. And it won't be nice, it won't be comfortable, but I'll learn. Um, so the Arts Council, um, who are the major funder um, for arts and culture in this country, have just released a new 10-year strategy, haven't they, Let's Create, which is uh, talks a lot about communities and putting artists first. And I wonder if you that makes you optimistic. Um, it makes me hugely optimistic. Uh, it makes me laugh a little bit because some of the language is Fun Palace's language. It absolutely is. And I know it is because... 
somebody inside the Arts Council said to me two years ago, have you seen how we've started to use that language? I'm like, yeah, and where's my consultancy fee? Um, but it's fine because well, and it's not just us, right? There have been organisations like Fun Palaces saying this for years. And what's thrilling about the Arts Council's new strategy is not only is it showing that they've listened, and, and but it's also showing that they believe the time is right, and I think they're right. My big concern about what's happened in lockdown, about the, you know, the theatres announcing redundancies and, and the big buildings closing now, is that when they do get to reopen, when there is a bailout, if the culture secretary ever notices that one is needed, when that happens, that we might go back to a safe place rather than use this as an opportunity to to just break it all apart and start from where we are now. Start from acknowledging Black Lives Matter and its core. Start from acknowledging we have been rubbish as an art sector at including disabled people, not just as come in so you can sit in the audience, but as leaders. You know, start from acknowledging that we still don't have as many women running things as we do men, except in community work. When you look at community work, oh, it's all led by women. Um, if we start from there, and if we start by saying that participation is key to bringing in new voices, so it's all very well saying we'll bring in, I don't know, these people who don't normally perceive theatre to be theirs as audiences. That's one thing. But unless we show them that they too can be actors, directors, writers, that they can be the people who run it, producers, that they can be CEOs, unless we show them that, the material isn't going to change. And it's the material that has to be changed to change the audiences. I notice on Twitter you've been very vocal in your support for commun freelance community workers or low-paid or unpaid community workers, actually. And um, it feels to me like there is a need to champion those. Um, yeah. We don't have a lot of power currently in our... <laughs> no, we, I mean, there has been set up brilliantly by Fuel, who are an amazing organisation, a freelancers task force, which is really hopeful, whether, whether they're listened to or not is another matter. But there are so many involved that I think it might have some power. So as I, I said, I've been freelance my whole life. I've had cancer twice and worked through them because I'm a freelancer. No sick pay, no holiday pay, Parents, sister, nephew, loads of really important friends and family dead, no compassionate leave ever in my life. I am not recommending working through major illness. I have had to. This is the standard for all freelancers, for all freelancers. It is absolutely standard. The, it's been hugely interesting watching people talk about, um, oh my God, I'm homeschooling and I've got my kids at home. Even my freelance friends with small kids have had to work with their kids at home all the time. It's not great. No one's saying this works easily. But people are suddenly going, oh, wow, that's hard, right? There's suddenly an understanding of some of the things that are really difficult. A lot of people who were furloughed early on were going, oh, God, I, I don't know how to get up. I don't know what to do. That self-motivation that freelancers have to have. Um, people are suddenly also, people with, with you know, jobs that, that look after them more, whether they like them or not, they do at least pay into their pension, give them sick pay, generally. Of course, there are shit jobs for everybody. Um, those people are beginning to understand that it's hard for freelancers too. Simultaneously, for about the past 10 years, the government has really pushed freelance contracts to become PAYE contracts. So there are a lot of 
PAYE paying freelancers who were not eligible for the freelance support, for the self-employed support. They were simply not eligible um, because over 50% of their work was PAYE, but they're freelance. So none of that support has come to them. And all our freelance work is cancelled. It's all gone. You know, I'm paid two days a week by Fun Palaces, which is fantastic because I've had this work and it's kept going. And in fact, it's been even busier because there's been so much more interest in what we're doing. Um, but all the book festivals I was doing, they've all gone and they pay and we need them. You know, I'm not, I'm not my mate Val. You know, I don't just sell books because I just sell books, right? I mean, she's a brilliant writer and every year she has a bestseller. That's not my experience. It's really important to me to be at festivals because that way I get to meet writer, readers and writers who might buy my book and other writers who might help me sell my book. For very many, the vast majority of writers, festivals are where we sell books. Um, and that's all gone. And, you know, all the good festivals pay for, for attending. For many of us, we need that. That sort of stuff is so important to freelancers. Not only has it all gone, but we don't know when it's starting again. We have no idea. So the freelancers I know are currently in a dire state and there's very little support for them. And there's always been very little support for us because the, the mainstream, the big buildings, the big galleries, the big theatres, they, they employ us, but it's always on a freelance basis. Mm-hmm. And, and no, so, no freelancers, no arts ecology, really. I mean, it's not exactly. And, and, and that story hasn't been told, mm-hmm. you know. And the film industry, I mean, the lighting people, the camera people, the sound people, the wardrobe, they're all freelance. All of them. You know, this great film and television industry we have. And people are going to have to leave and do other jobs. If there's no work, they will end up having to do other things. So not only are we depleting what we've already got, we're not going to be making it easy to have the more diverse workforce that we want to have when we start again. It is hugely worrying. Um, I mean, it's interesting being simultaneously optimistic, but also very... (laughs) (laughs) The other thing I'm currently doing is I started a doctorate this year in existential psychotherapy. And um, and I, I love existential work because of exactly that. It's all about paradoxes and polarities. And on the one hand, I genuinely have hope that this can be a watershed for amazing change and that... All the hashtag Black Lives Matters people are going to be doing the work as well as the hashtag. I genuinely have faith in that. On the other hand, things are hard. You know, it's really hard. And and are we going to be supported and support each other to make the sleep? Because I am always slightly more glass half full, um, I think we will. And I think that the, the leap and the change... I actually feel really emotional saying this. I think the leap and the change will come because of our support for each other, you know? And that goes back to the beginning of our conversation. One of the lovely things about Thixons, about Harrogate, about that crime festival for me is that support of each other. And it's not just the writers and it's not just the readers. It's a combination. It's all the festival people. It's Sharon's work for so long, you know, and everyone else who's been part of it. That, that knitted togetherness is, is what's going to take us forward. And that doesn't get the light shone on it. And it doesn't get speeches in Parliament. You know, it really doesn't. But, but 
that that's where the change is. And it's not to say it's not hard. And it's not to say that we need to be really careful we don't drop people by the wayside. Those homeless people who are about to get kicked out of hotels mm-hmm. is a major problem. And there are many others in, in quite dire circumstances right now. But I think we can, as long as we make our net a bit wider, we can do it. That feels like a lovely... Um, optimistic moment on which to end Stella thank you so much and thank you for sharing your um, experiences of fun palaces and I urge everybody to have a look at the website because there's so much on there maybe make a tiny fun palace it only needs you and your neighbour perhaps so you can do that six foot distance absolutely thank you so much you're really welcome thank you Jenny Subscribe to this podcast. For more information about our arts charity and upcoming events, 